Welcome back to another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. I am here with my ambitiously opinionated hosts, Maria Jose and Mario Sikora. Um, I think this is going to be a thing. I have to just come up with an adjective every episode. So, so how does ambitiously opinionated hit hit both now, of you? What is what does that mean? I don't. It's just words I put uh-huh. together. Who knows? Gotcha. All right. Um, so today we are talking about the four, five, and six, and the emotional intelligence that is required for each of those to engage the process of change. Should we just jump into four? Do we need to do a recap at all? Well, I'll do a quick recap. So um, go back and listen to the previous episode. But no, we're, we're, there's the we're recap. Talking, okay, there's the recap. No. <laughs> so we're talking about you know kind of framing this through how we did it in the book Awareness to Action twenty years ago, and talking a little bit about how we you know do it a little bit differently, but you know still follow the same fundamental models, etc. So, and I will just quibble a little bit with what you said there, Creek, um, that uh, it's not so much what emotional intelligence they need to grow, but we used um, an example of the awareness to action process related to one emotional competency. So emotional intelligence is kind of a broad term, right? Um, It's the ability to recognize our emotional states and manage our reaction to them. And um, that they're usually considered to be multiple competencies that enhance our ability to do that. We talked last time, I think it was with the two, that in order to become emotionally intelligent, twos need to practice awareness okay, as one of the main competencies, etc. So what we're looking at is how do we apply the awareness to action process to a particular emotional competency for each of the types? in a way that can be replicated by our dear listener. So Mario, do you remember, or what would say rationale for picking those, I mean, three specific competencies for each type? It was just, well, Bob and I put a lot of discussion and not debate, a lot of discussion into that and relied on our experience of working with people. You know, we had been working with the Enneagram for quite some time prior to that, Bob longer than me. And so we just had experience with people of those types. And understanding the types, it just also seemed logical that these are the ones that would be most helpful for each type. Yeah, because they make sense. Well, we didn't just pick them out of a hat. You know, it's, uh, there, there is a tendency, I mean, quite frankly, there's a tendency, and we see this in a lot of the Enneagram literature, of people just to do thought experiments and say, well, mm. somebody's a three, so they might need this or, you know, et cetera. Mm. We actually wrote a book based on experience. So go figure. Dude. <laughs> is that ambitiously opinionated? Is that is that what you were and talking about? And here we are. Um, <laughs> I'm a prophet. <laughs> right. I wish I could say something to bring you back to earth. Um, but I really think that it was a good choice for each time. It's yeah. good work. No, and no. it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because when you use the, the, when I asked you what ambitiously opinionated meant, <laughs> what I was going to respond with was, well, we have wisdom to share and we <laughs> love to share it with people. So, uh, well, um, 
let's get into this ambitiously opinionated <laughs> wisdom that you'd like to share. Um, we're going to start with the type four, and we're going to be talking about improving self-confidence as a four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you feel, yeah. Craig, when you say it? What's your reaction? Yeah, so so let's, yeah, Creek, what, what is your reaction to that as a competency that fours need to work on? It, 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 is, it is equally um, insulting <laughs> <laughs> and accurate. <laughs> Say more. Well, uh, <laughs> Say more. Well, well, that fills me with pleasure. Right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I, yeah. For the majority of my life, I would not say I'm a very confident. I was. I've not been a very confident person, or at least externally confident. I would have my opinions, but not. Be, I'd be confident in my opinions, but not confident enough for them to actually be recognized as good in the external world. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I would say it's just I've grown in my confidence in my my internal opinions becoming. Uh, are, that they are valuable in the external world, but there's also plenty of it, times where I where self confidence is just not. It's not the thing that I easily reach for. Yeah, and it's something you've worked on. Absolutely. Right? Uh, so and yeah, and this was the point of the book, you know, and the point of the work that we do is that this is an area where fours benefit from working. Mm -hmm. It is in this issue of self confidence. There are plenty of fours who are accomplished, successful people in the mm -hmm. world. You know, I think Steve Jobs, for example, um, you know, I'm convinced he was a four. And, you know, he had a lot of confidence. And most people would say he had a pretty huge ego. But his fault lines were around a lack of confidence, a lack of belonging, a lack of feeling like he fit in. Okay, Steve Jobs was uh, adopted, for example, and, you know, always felt like he was out of place in some way. And this is one of the things that fours wrestle with. And when you feel like you're out of place in some way, your confidence is going to take a hit, even if you seem to all the world to be a pretty confident, successful person. And I, I, to, I guess to comment on that, the, the thing that I, the mindset shift has been, instead of trying to do all the things that I'm good at in order to find that place of belonging, working on what does it mean for me to belong, and then working on how do I want to contribute from the belonging, from that sense of I have something valuable to offer the world instead of trying to prove that I have something valuable to offer the world. Yeah. Yeah. Because to me, that strikes me as a very navigating for statement, right? So I thought you were okay. going to say something. Say more. Oh, no, just this, what is my role here? What is my contribution to the group? Right? That's what navigators are focused on. That's not what a transmitting four yeah. cares about. Transmitting four would be more like, this is what I want the world to know yeah. about me and yeah. what I want to contribute to the world. Yeah. You have the map of the world. You have a clear vision of what there is out there and how you fit in it. I'm working with a transmitting four now, and his whole issue is he's he's saying, I don't know why I have this huge need to leave some legacy. I don't know why this drives me all the time. And I said, oh, it's because you're a transmitting four, and that's what they do. But what you said was what a navigating four 
would say. Darn, I'm not unique. All right. You're a walking um, cliche, Greg. Just like, just like the rest of us. Just like the rest of us. <laughs> That's offensive. I drink myself into a stupor tonight after that comment. Okay. <laughs> um. uh. yeah, we'll get there, Greg. The next in the next episode, we'll talk yeah, about yeah. empathy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so write it down, Greg. All right. All write right. it down. <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell you how much work I've done on developing empathy over the sure. years. Right? <laughs> yeah, it never ends, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It so, doesn't. so when you're, uh, let's get back to it. Um, yeah, okay. So, when you are coaching a four, and you're, you're, you can't just tell them, "Hey, be more confident." That's what a lot of people have told me. You should just be more confident. People see yeah. you as a leader. Okay. And so, what, what is the process of actually cultivating that? Yeah, and, and I'll just point out that's the difference between people who actually have experience working with people and people who don't, right? The, the people who don't will say, well, just be more confident, right? But um, people who know what they're talking about will say, well, it's not quite that easy. So Yeah, and, and, and some people might have experience but not be very effective. Or sometimes with certain things, this works, you know? I think that if we tell someone be more whatever, I mean, anything we say, and it makes sense to the person, and sometimes they start doing it, and it's easy. But there's certain things where there's more at stake. There's more of a conflict for the person to work on that thing. And then we have a problem, and then we need to address it using the awareness to action process. Yeah. Look, if, if the advice was, well, just switch to decaf, you know, well, that's, you know, that's easy. Unacceptable. All right, we're, we're done here. That's... <laughs> Ooh, buddy. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so, yeah, I I know you're a big coffee guy, and so that's not, a, you know, a great uh, example for you. No. But, you know, I've seen a lot of people switch to decaf in their coffee, mm. right? And so, that you know, that's a, that's a relatively... Well, I, I agree, right? For me, I'd rather drink dishwater than decaf. I mean, why bother? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, but my point is, is we're talking about something that's really deeply rooted. It's like telling an eight ball just to have more empathy. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Well, it's not that easy for an eight. So what do you do? Yeah. Well, let's, again, I'll, I'll kind of go back and say how we framed this in the book. And um, the current pattern for a lot of eights that we gave in, a, I'm sorry, for a lot of fours that we gave an example of, so I continually compare myself to people and usually see others as more talented, better equipped, better educated, etc. I struggle to fit into most work situations and I'm very sensitive to the judgments of others. I often feel inadequate and defective in some way. Right? This is the burden of the four, feeling inadequate. So they're striving to feel unique is sort of a defense against that. If I'll show how I am or this need to be unique will drive me to sort of wallow in my self-perceived deficiencies. Okay? And that's where they end up being stuck. So we, what we, the way we described it in the book, and again, I'm, I'm kind of talking about how we described it in the book. So Marie Jose made the point last time that we do it a little bit differently. Now we kind of cut to the chase, but understanding the fuller process is helpful. So what we say is true uniqueness lies in my gifts, not my weaknesses. 
I know I have great insight, creativity, strength, and sen- sensitivity. By recognizing my special strengths and staying focused on the present reality rather than the disappointing past or romanticized future, I feel a sense of confidence in who I am and what I can accomplish. Now, if I boil that down a little bit, it would be acknowledge your feelings of insecurity, acknowledge your feelings of lack, but then make a switch that says, and I also have these strengths. Okay, so you never want to tell a four, stop worrying about your perceived deficiencies, stop worrying about your comparisons. Catch yourself in the act of doing it, acknowledge that it's part of the way that your mind works, and remind yourself to focus on some of the strengths as well. So you never want to say, just, just forget about all that stuff. Okay, you can't, you know, we'll talk in a few minutes about the six. You can't just tell a six, stop worrying, right? Because that's it's the air they breathe. So for a four, say, yeah, okay, you know, yeah, those things are true. And these other things are true too. And by remembering these other things, you will achieve genuine uniqueness. Because if all you're doing is listing your flaws, you're just like every other four out there, right? Obsessing over perceived inadequacies. I have a, you wanted to say something, Greg? Go ahead. I think. Are you sure? <laughs> well, I'll be, I, I, I'll be, I'll be uh, well, nice, Greg. I'll be kind nice. of. Uh, um, so there is the deficiency angle of focusing just on your deficiencies, but like I've I've played I played a couple of shows recently, and each one of those, per usual, nervous wreck, pretty much two days before, and it just keeps intensifying the closer it gets, and. I know I'm good. Like, I know that I have the skills to wow people. What tends to happen is the nerves are about not accurately or not um, fully representing my capacity in my, in my skills. So it's like, it's, it's, it's weirdly, I guess, disguised. It's not like, oh, I'm no good at doing music. It's like, no, I think I'm really good at doing music and I'm afraid that I'm not going to live up to the ways in which I know I'm good at it. Right. And I feel that's where it sneaks in, I think, a little bit. And, and that's a whole other thing to tackle. It does, I, to me, it doesn't work the same as the, the whole deficiency thing. Talking about the initial adjective of ambition, <laughs> okay. does your... Self-confidence. Is your self-confidence high enough that it makes you dream ambitiously about where you could perform, for example? Yes. So I actually just went to a local symphony and Yo-Yo Ma was there. And I got to see him play. And every time I go to something like that, whether it's a symphony or an opera or something like that, I am infinitely inspired on like, a dream of mine is to play with a symphony. Right, that, that there's ambitious goals, and then I like backtrack. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's just that the steps required to get to that point is just insanely a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so what I see sometimes is that they force I know might be confident enough about the things that some of the things they do, but they don't see themselves accomplishing a lot. You know, they don't think they are have a good fit for things that other people do. 
You know, those people can yeah, do that, but I can't, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's the confidence that I'm, that I see lacking yeah. in some force. Right. Yeah. We're, we're not suggesting that fours completely lack confidence, <laughs> right? That they don't think they can't do anything, mm-hmm. but they can. So I like to think of what happens for each of the types, for all of us, is that we we break down at our fault lines. Where is, where is an earthquake on the planet? It's where two tectonic plates come together at a fault, okay? And when there's pressure, that's where you feel the earthquake, okay? So you feel earthquake, Maria Jose knows something about this, right, being in Chile, okay? Why, because it sits on a big giant fault, okay? And so when there's stress, that's where the rumbling happens, okay? It doesn't happen in Pennsylvania because that's not where the fault line is. So for the four, and in Chile, there's not earthquakes all the time, okay? Most of the time, everything's fine. But when the pressure builds and the problems start, that's where the earthquakes are. And so for the four, it's around this issue of confidence. They're not, they don't walk through life saying, oh my gosh, I can't leave the house because, you know, I'm too dumb to drive the car or you know, anything like that. No, it's, it's when the pressure builds up, that's where you see it in them. Okay. Whereas you wouldn't see it in an eight, for example. They've got other issues. Their fault lines mm-hmm. are in other places. I have an example of a friend, and she gave me permission to share it. And she, I used to work with her at the beginning of my career as a coach and facilitator. And she's a transmitting four. And she was, I think, very good at what she did, but lacked self-confidence. And she saw other coaches doing work and more kind of corporate business people doing these things. And she felt like because she didn't have that experience, she wasn't good enough or she couldn't do it or she was a bit like, not a fake, but that some, at some point somebody was going to realize that she wasn't good enough, you know. And, and over time, she started looking at her patterns and but on the other and on the other hand there was this obstacle and that's what we address with the awareness to action process for her feeling like she was good at it that she could do it was like selling herself to the system doing things that everybody could do with no juice in the work that she was doing so it was like i'm not good enough for that but feeling good enough about it would mean that I'm just like like all those people and I'm working uh, in this corporate world which I don't like much. So she had this issue with it which didn't make her, uh, didn't make it easy for her to work towards the confidence there because there was something that made her feel like she was going to be less unique and that's the trick. When we want to grow on something, on some competency, but then it goes against our preferred strategy. And then that's when we need to rewrite the narrative. And she started working on how can I be even more, feel even more unique by doing the things that I know I'm really good at and believing in myself more, being more confident about it and going for it. And now she does programs in the corporate world, but 
most of them are more creative, more artistic, and but still in the corporate world. So she can do it. She feels she doesn't feel like she needs other people to support her or to do it with her. She's a lot more confident and even more unique. But if she had a story in her mind about how being more confident would make her feel even less unique, she wouldn't go for it. I think I, I think more people need to do what I'm about to say, but I think at least I know I probably overdo it in the re, in regards to like I like the idea of charging like thirty percent, always being thirty percent ahead of what you're charging or something like that. Um, based like skills, like 30% ahead on skills and knowledge where a lot of people are overcharging for lack of, with like 30% less skills than what they should be having to charging what they're charging. But I, I end up going, it's, it's probably more like 60 or 70% where, <laughs> where it's, uh, unless I am absolutely exceptional and unique in the space, I will never charge what I'm worth. And that's, I, I think that's that. I mean, that's the thing that came up when you were talking about that, Maria. Is that kind of in line with what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, it is. You don't feel like you can own the space completely. You know, you're Until not. Until I'm super yeah. exceptional yes. and unique in it, and everyone reveres my contribution implicitly. <laughs> yes. Great. Um, <laughs> I mean, we could just keep talking about fours. I mean, that's, yeah, we that's could. what the people it, it, want. It, it, so. it, yeah, yeah, I was going to say. They sell we, well. It, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, good, an episode on fours. Our, our listenership will double. We just put, I think we should put type four in the title of all of them. Yes. All yeah. the episodes. <laughs> and mention it at the a, beginning. Yes. We're going to start, we're going to start a, a new podcast that's just fours. That's yeah. the whole thing. Gosh, kill me now. Yeah, right. <laughs> me too. That's, no, that's the motto of the podcast. Um, yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and move on to five. So with five, we are improving communication. Now this wasn't an act of brain surgery here, right? You know, rock <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, this this was not uh, ambitiously opinionated uh, here. Um, <laughs> this was a, a pretty simple one. Yeah. Fundamentally, you have fives who you know often struggle with communication, um, and the, the main reason is. Look, I'm striving to feel detached. Okay, if I communicate a lot, then I'm attaching to people. I'm creating space for them to come in. Okay, uh, now some fives will see they're really great at communicating at people. Particularly, see this with transmitting fives, right? They're really, uh, you know, good at talking, but not so good at listening. So, and part of communication is listening as well. But the point here is that their definition, their implicit definition of what it means to feel detached precludes them from becoming as effective a communicator as they could. Yeah. Now, if you say to a five, well, just, just go talk to people more. Right? Again, what they're thinking is, okay, intellectually, I get that, but it makes me feel like I'm losing that buffer that I try to keep between me and the messiness of the world? What if they start telling me some story about their feelings or something? What am I going to do then, right? Uh, 
<laughs> or react emotionally. Uh, what do I do with it? Right, yeah, right. Yeah. You know. Now, and, and again, you know, we all know fives. Well, I shouldn't say we all do, but you know, I know fives who are compassionate, understanding, empathetic people. But again, the fault line for the five is to detach and become uncommunicative or unskillful in the communication. Yes. Mm. Yes, yes. And you know, that's a great point Maria Jose because we could say that about all the types in these areas, right? So when the four expresses their self-confidence, sometimes they can do it in a really unskillful way and it comes across as this arrogance. Yes. Right? It's a compensatory arrogance and and so forth. When the even with the one you know, ones when they're under a lot of stress and sort of acting out will be very focused on their needs. You know, we talked about last time how one, I'm sorry, twos, apologize, how twos are not practicing self-awareness efficiently. Well, they're going to, you know, go into these spaces where I want this, I want this, I want this in a very demanding way. But it's not skillful self-awareness. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Right, so um, we're talking about skillful communication here, and the the, the advice we uh, I always give to five clients is, if you learn to manage communication and do it skillfully, you can maintain the degree of detachment that you're looking for. You can manage that messiness, right? Because a lot of times fives, because they're not comfortable in communicating, they feel like they get trapped into a conversation they don't want to be in. So I actually always work with fives around what I call their transitioning skills out of communication, right? Here's a good way, you know, you engage and then you really work on practicing the disengagements of communication in a skillful way so the other person doesn't feel like you just dumped them abruptly they feel heard, they feel respected, but they also recognize your need for space or that you've got something else you have to do right now. I shouldn't say this, but it makes me feel think of Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> he he yeah. says like, well, do you want a cup of tea? Why are you offering me? Because that's what you do when people feel bad. You know? It's like, <laughs> like the manual of <laughs> the things that people yes. should say. Now yeah. that's extreme. I'm not implying yes. that sure, all fives sure, sure. are like that, but... It, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is the protocol. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Conversely, I know I know fives that are brilliant communicators, but their interpersonal communication is absolute garbage. Yes. yes. And when they're playing a role of some type, when they're yes. given the platform, it's it's mind-bogglingly beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but then as soon as they're out of that role, it's like hello. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. What's yeah. going on? I, yeah. Do you even realize what's this, what's happening here? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about here, right? I completely agree with you, right? That there are fives who are great, great communicators in a structured way. And some even, you know, who've really done work on themselves are really good at the, um, you know, the interpersonal stuff. But they've worked on it usually. And it ends up being more of a game. Maybe this isn't true across the board, but it feels like the sense that I get from the fives that I know is like the the interacting with the other humans is more of a a fun mind game that as soon as it becomes not fun anymore, 
or profitable for me, then it's like, well, <laughs> uh, here's the tea. I'm leaving. Yeah, it's, it's like a, it's like a thought experiment, right? You know, there's yeah. this yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a view in some circles in philosophy that uh, our experience today, what we're living through, is really just some advanced computer simulation, right? We're living in the matrix or something, you know. So that's yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and it's like I did everything that I should have done, and it's not working. What hap- right. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Right. But I do find that with fives, if you can help them, at least in the beginning, like Sheldon, understand the rules and the processes and the structure and the protocol, that's a good starting point. Mm. Okay. Because when you start to practice those things, the other pieces will start to work. And then you'll get experience. Like anything else, they'll start to get confidence in their ability to communicate with people. They mm-hmm. won't be as nervous or apprehensive or reluctant to engage in conversation. And that will make them just more comfortable conversationalists. Yeah. I, I knew a guy who had a more operational role and in a productive company, that's key to have the uh, business continuity, it's fundamental. And when there was an issue, he wouldn't let other people know because he, I don't know why, but he was a five and he was sort of avoiding the messiness of the reaction because there was some issue happening. So he, he wouldn't communicate it. Now, until there was a big problem with it and people were just all over the place because now you had to fix it. So the guy was avoiding this messiness, but the messiness at the end of the day was even worse. So his detachment was working in the short term, avoiding the small conversations about the potential issues. But when the big issues came up, it was even worse. And there was no detachment possible. Especially specifically with the five, like if, if they're communicating, their interpersonal communication is being done poorly how do you go about as the re- the receiver of that lack of communication to bring that up to um, be like, hey, this is affecting me negatively. But then that's bringing up emotions in which a lot of times they're trying to stay detached from difficult circumstances, all those sort of things. How do you go about <laughs> being equally as detached in some way not to trigger them to shut down and to run away? Yeah, I think that one of the things it's key that you said is key, and it's if you're too emotional, there's a lower chance of su- succeeding at communication with a five. Mm. So you need to, need to try to be less emotional, but also kind of explain yourself as good as you can, uh, and try to be to explain what you're thinking, your emotions, the implications of it so that the other person really gets it because they might be missing some part of it uh, and what you need, mm-hmm. you know? So it's because they, like everyone else, they can be really good people and be trying hard to do what's needed. To sure. just sometimes don't know or miss some cues, mainly emotional, I would say. Mm. Okay. They don't, it's like not understanding what's really going on at a deeper level. And I I think that same general rule applies to anybody 
that we're speaking to and trying to influence them, yeah. right? Communication is about finding a language that resonates with the other person. Okay? And it's about receiving as well as transmitting. So if I am trying to help a five understand that I need more engagement from them or I would like more engagement from them, I'm responsible for tuning into their frequency in some way, right? I can't just go to you know, I don't know Mexico and start speaking English and expect people to respond to me. I have to understand that. Some people do. <laughs> some people do, but but they may not, right? And you know, or anywhere in the world, right? So we think of it in terms of languages. People speak different languages in different countries. And if I go assuming that people speak English, they might, and they might respond to me, but there's a pretty good chance in a lot of places that they won't, okay? Because you're just speaking a foreign language to them. Just like if somebody comes to me and starts speaking in, you know, almost any language but English. I just, I don't know what they're saying. So number one, we have to, like Maria Jose said, lower our emotional intensity when we're dealing with a five, and then just be very rational about what we're looking for. Just like when you're speaking to a two, you need to up the emotionality and talk about feelings a little bit more. And when you're talking to an eight, you need to be firm and stand your ground and be more assertive or else, again, you're just not going to get your message through. So... Be matter of fact, lower the emotional intensity. You may not get what you want, but I can guarantee you, you won't get what you want if you don't do those things. Yeah, but just going back to the awareness to action process for fives, it's like with all the others, their, their usual narratives work in the short term with small things in, in keeping them feeling detached. But at the end of the day, it's, it doesn't truly work in the long term. So by communicating more, doesn't have to be, and, and this is key as well, if you tell anyone that they have to become really good and communicate all the time, it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So in certain cases, improving their communication skills will help them feel more detached in the long term. And then mm -hmm. you will get them interested and wanting to go work on it. I always remember a five that I worked with, and he, he was saying, you know, I keep getting mess. I keep getting emails from this guy. It's driving me crazy. I'm getting three, four emails a day from him. And then he starts calling me. Well, why is he emailing me? He says, well, he wants something from me, and I haven't responded to him yet. Well, then respond to him, and he'll stop <laughs> sending you emails, you know? I mean, what part of this don't you get? Okay? Uh, so, uh, you know, but again, to somebody else it seems completely logical mm -hmm. so one way to increase this feeling of not being put upon by others is to respond to them and then they go away all right let's uh let's hit the final one which is six and that's improving adaptability yeah so sixes often struggle with adaptability adaptability is the ability to change to adapt I hate to use the word, but to, to adapt to the circumstances and behave in different ways. And this can bring out a lot of anxiety for sixes because they're used to, they find security in 
set responses, set behaviors, et cetera. And if you're asking me to adapt, you're asking me to stretch into an area that is new, that is foreign to me. So the way we described it in the book is I tend to avoid taking chances on anything new because I focus on danger and the things that could go wrong. I'm often suspicious and skeptical that people can be completely trusted. I prefer the devil I know to the devil I don't. That is, if circumstances are not perfect, I would keep things the same, I'd rather keep things the same than face the possibilities that things could get worse. I need a guarantee that things will turn out okay or I won't take the risk of embracing change. And this is one of the things as I've worked with sixes over the years, one of the things that gets them into trouble over and over and over again is not taking appropriate risk, not stretching, not trying new behaviors, not implementing new plans because of this risk aversion of things might go wrong. And then they end up, you know, getting fired because they're not making the changes they need to make. Right? So it's like the deer that runs out in the road and realize, oh crap, I'm in the road. So it stands there, right? And so, um, so developing the capacity to adapt is important for sixes. So the new story that we describe in the book is true security involves taking necessary and appropriate risks that ensure that I will be successful. Being resistant, negative, and combative when change is called for makes me a liability to the team. Not being, not being adaptable is unwise, ineffective, and ultimately threatens my security. Resisting change, not being adaptable, makes me feel safe in the short term. Being adaptable within reason and taking appropriate risk makes me more secure in the long term. Is the way we would frame that. Yeah, what I've seen happening at times is that you might try to keep things the same, but if you're the only one and the other people on the team want to move forward, then they will leave you aside, you yeah. know, and it, it just doesn't work. So being able to see that and understand that if you don't adapt, things will change anyway, but you won't be able to influence on how it changes sometimes makes them go for it because that's not secure if I cannot influence the direction of things. Now, I've seen sixes striving to feel secure but through constantly changing. They are adapting to every minute little detail and change and, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And and that, that yeah, how does that fit in? Yeah, so, again, that's not skillful adaptability, right? Mm, that's okay. unskillful adaptability. That's not thought through. That's not strategic. That's just as big a problem as the not being adaptable. So that's not really adaptability. It's bouncing, right? Which is, is a bit mm -hmm. different there. Mm -hmm. In fact, it, you know, we just did in um, my other podcast, The Enneagram in a Movie, uh, available on your platform of choice, uh, we just recorded the episode about the six, and I was doing a little research on the idea of cowardice, the vice of the six, because most of the books, they don't really talk about it. Like Narano's book and Sandra Matry's book, they mention it, but they don't really go into cowardice per se. And so I looked up the definition, and it's a unwillingness to feel firm in your stance, okay? which is different from hmm. this kind of rigid fear-based 
because it's, it's, and what we're talking about when we talk about the in, unadaptability, inadaptability is a fearful, rigid retreat onto something that feels comfortable. It's not actually taking a confident stance on something. So the kind of bouncing that you're talking about or flip-flopping mm-hmm. is not really adaptability either. It also, for whatever reason, it also brings up, like, I, I could see ones needing adaptability as well. Um, well, ones need them all. Um, just <laughs> go down the list. I mean, we all could use all of these, yes, but, sure. um, and maybe it's just that that notion of one, we, we tend to see ones as, as rigid, but maybe maybe that's, I don't know, am I... Yeah. I'm not even sure what so the one of the three, here. one of the three competencies that uh, ones benefit from, it's optimism, adaptability, and empathy. So it's ah okay. So there's yeah. wow okay. So yeah. there's uh, more. the answers are all in the book. They're, 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 <laughs> okay. All the answers are there. <laughs> I was just thinking about cult. <laughs> type six, and I think it deserves a special note on the subtype of the transmitting sex because it doesn't look as the other two necessarily. Mm-hmm. And it might look more confident. It might look like willing to take more risks. And there's still the lack of adaptability in right. some things. It's less evident sometimes. But if we only focus on risks, I think sexes would state and you could observe that they take more risks mm. and they still share the need to be more adaptable. So, so last thing, and then we'll close the episode out is what, how do you work with sixes in, in what are some, what are some practical things that if a six is listening that they could start doing to um, practice adaptability? So first of all, when working with sixes, um, I immediately double my rate. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, they're just like everybody else, right? So there's um, they're wrestling with resistance to some fundamental issues at their heart. There's a couple of things. Number one, when I'm working with a six, I never ever want to diminish their concerns. I never ever want to dismiss their concerns. Now, you don't want to do this with anybody, right? You you never want to tell anybody, ah, stop worrying about that. But you particularly don't want to do this with sixes. You don't want to say, oh, your your fears are unjustified because you've immediately lost them. So the approach is always to say, well, yeah, I can see why that would be of concern. Have you ever thought about it this way? Or if that were to happen, what would we do? So you want to help them reason their way to the importance of adaptability, of change, of risk-taking. Okay, you want them to see. And the other thing you want to help them understand, and Maria Jose alluded to this, is, and I didn't allude to it, said it pretty blatantly, um, people will stop listening to you. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're the one always pointing out what the problems are, people will stop listening to you and then your fears really will come true. Mm-hmm. So you have to leaven your concerns with optimism on occasion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's using yes and. Yep. In, well, with all of the types, right? But mm-hmm. it's around the anxieties. 
Okay, mm-hmm. and yeah. that that you that's that's the key thing. Yeah, sure. and and many times, only seeing the potential threats or bad intentions of people, and so when you do what Mario was saying and help them broaden the perspective, and say, okay, so this could happen, but what are the other options, and do you prefer that or this other scenario? No, no, I prefer this one. Okay, so it's bad, but it's not that bad, you know? Mm-hmm. So get, helping them get more perspective because they tend to focus on certain things, as we all do. But with sure. the six, is more on the negative, bad intentions, threats, and uh, helping them see the rest helps them, yeah, be able to adapt or to change mm-hmm. their mind. Well, that wraps up four, five, and six. Uh, tune in next My week. Favorite for, types. My yeah. favorite types. My favorite. Yeah, <laughs> you always say that. Yeah, yeah. 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 The more you say it, the, the less times. I believe you. Yeah. Um, next, we're going to be hitting seven, eight, and nine. Tune in because I'm sure that one's going to be a spicy one. We'll and we'll talk more week. about fours too. I just want to say, don't yeah, worry. We'll every episode, we'll talk about fours. More. <laughs> so. Yeah, perfect. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast. 